Shelton, the critical thinker at large. Uh, we are doing something a little different this week, and so I am putting an intro on to uh, what was an interview that I did a couple weeks ago with Penny Michau, and she is a um, pagan, she's Wiccan, she's out in, she's a witch, and she is uh, out in Minnesota, and they hold a yearly convention called Paganicon. I spoke there a couple years ago, and I believe I posted the, the recording of that talk. Um, it was a lot of fun, and I also interviewed Penny because she had some uh, Scientology experience of her own, quite tragic experience, actually, and um, I will link to that podcast that she and I did a few years ago where we talked in detail about her experience with Scientology and her uh, ex-husband, and she's now a widow. They're that's why it's her ex-husband. So there's quite a story there. But this talk this week is not about that. It's about indoctrination and radicalization. And these are, of course, very, very important topics to our current world situation. And, uh, and as the um, you know vaccines are rolling out now and as people are looking at getting back together and having you know normalcy, start coming back into our lives over the coming months, we're going to see the return of all the fun and games that was going on pre-pandemic in terms of radicalized, crazy, culty, nonsense behavior that we all are, you know, seem to be so fascinated and consumed by and affected by in a negative way. So, you know, what can we do about it? Well, this show offers some insights and some education on the topics so that we can deal with it in a more practical and sensible way. That's the effort here. And Penny wanted to interview me for Peganicon to discuss these topics. And so we did. And I thought we had a fun interview. Um, I think I talked a little bit too much, maybe, but I wasn't sure what parts to cut out. Um, so I hope you enjoy this interview. I've, I think this is the first or one of the first times I've ever posted somebody else's interview with me on my channel uh, as a podcast of my own. Of course, Penny's fully in agreement with, with doing this. Um, but here you go. And I hope that this is something you enjoy this week. Our topic today is indoctrination and radicalization. We are offering this for Paganicon 2021. And I am completely delighted to be interviewing former Scientologist, cult expert, and longtime friend, Chris Shelton. This year is in virtual format due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And um, as I'm sure Chris is, I am also my, very much missing our um, participants and their input. Um, they have, you have, never failed to inspire fantastic conversation and great insights in these workshops that we've had for a number of years. So I'm gonna tell you a little bit about me, and then I'm gonna tell you a lot of it about Chris, um, because he is the real star of today's conversation. My name is Emerson Anu, as I am known in the craft community, also known as Penny. I'm a third degree Wiccan priestess. I'm elevated in two traditions and legally ordained in the state of Minnesota. I'm the co-founder and high priestess of the Coven of Misfit Toys, 
which is based in Minnesota and Wisconsin, and we are very much a non-traditional coven. So the first classes that you take with me are going to be uh, compassion and ethics, followed by critical thinking skills. I have offered workshops on the topic of ethics for Paganicon, Pagan Pride, Wiccan, Sacred Harvest Festival, at Sacred Paths Community Center, um, and when I was coaching in the marriage community for uh, just about 20 years. I was the vice president of the Upper Midwest Pagan Alliance for six years and have volunteered for all of these organizations for more than 20 years. Um, I grew up in a cult and in the far-right ideology, far-right ideology, John Birch Society Youth Group. I left that in my late 20s. And 20 years after that, I met and married a Scientologist. That experience and his death because of his involvement in Scientology made me look more closely at my own background, at the tactics and practices of high control groups, which we also call destructive cults, and how these things exist across just about every ideology and belief system. I met Chris when he was still a member of the Church of Scientology C organization. And it's gotten better since then, Chris. <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> yes, it has. I'd say the relationship <laughs> I, I, I'd say the relationship has improved a little bit. Yeah, I would say so too. Yeah. Uh, so Chris grew up as a second generation Scientologist. He learned the principles of Scientology as a child, and at 15, joined staff at the org, which is what Scientology calls their churches, in Santa Barbara. After graduation from high school, he was recruited into and joined the Sea Org, which is Scientology's paramilitary elite core of volunteers who work 24-7 to advance the goals of the Church of Scientology under today the current leader, David Miscavige. Yep. Chris left Scientology 17 years after joining the Sea Org, following a great deal of physical and psychological abuse. He was, oh, we got rid of the dog and here comes the cat. So we'll have a cat joining us. He was labeled a suppressive person, an SP, and was disconnected or shunned by lifelong friends and associates, including his then fiance. Uh, Chris now works to educate the public about the dangers of Scientology, destructive cults in general, and um, basically is a cult expert. Yes. Well, yeah, I would say extremism in all forms. That's kind of yeah. that's pretty much my my fight. You know, is against yeah. extremism. And you have helped hundreds of people recover from destructive cult influence, both one-on-one -on -one and through your work online. Yeah. So you have, um, you've been on Leah Remedy's uh, Scientology in the Aftermath. You served as a consultant for that group. You have a YouTube channel, a very active YouTube channel, uh, produced Sensibly Speaking podcast, and you have a blog. Yeah, I keep busy. Oh, and a book. So your I, book, yeah. Scientology, best name ever, Scientology A to Z New, an insider's guide to what Scientology is really all about is available on Amazon in every format possible. You got it. <laughs> so, and in your spare time, you help me with these things when I ask you. Yes, I do. And, 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 yes, do. and, and uh, yes, and we have done some great, great work and, and had some great talks. 
Yes. Well, and did I miss anything on all of the things that you do? Anything else you want to add to that? Um, no, I guess I guess the only other thing I can add right now is um, uh, just just to really make my life exciting. I decided to do a full time university study program also. So I'm doing post grad work in in core in the psychology of course of control. So that's that's also part of my my schedule at this time as I do this year long program. So, yeah, I'm good time. You're not slacking. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, try to keep busy. <laughs> So three years ago at Paganicon 2018, you were actually here in person for our fabulous cold weather, yep. um, which I know you missed when you left Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you did a workshop also with a fantastic title called Practicing Safe Sex, S-E-C-T-S. That's right. <laughs> and you sat on a panel that I hosted about uh, predatory behavior. Mm -hmm. And during that weekend... We took a break and you interviewed me for your podcast. And we discussed my experience as a non-member of Scientology losing a spouse to its teachings and abuse. So I am very excited today to take the other side <laughs> and interview you. Yeah. So welcome. Thank you. Let's, uh, yeah, this will be fun. Yes, it will be fun. So let's just kick right off with what is radicalization? Yeah, let's get to it. So um, it's an interesting word. It's a controversial term, radicalization, because um, depending on where you go or what, you know, what group you're affiliated with or looking at or what cause celeb you're, you know, riding the coattails of um, or are in the vanguard of, I guess, either way. Um, radicalization is basically the idea of a continuing extreme, get, getting deeper and deeper into a belief set or, uh, or an ideology or set of principles or beliefs. And then having that belief that becoming, uh, informing action of, of, uh, of what we would think of in a, in a generally destructive fashion or way. Um, it's not just having a belief, and it's not just having an extreme belief. It is, when we talk about radicalization, we are talking about actually taking action on those beliefs. And, um, and I think that's an important aspect of this, because it also generally, it depends on exactly what definition you're looking at. It's a little broad. But for my purposes, I uh, will throw in the idea that you are engaging in some degree of violent activity. When you start talking about radicalization, you're talking about offering justification for real-world action that is destructive or violent in an effort to forward the goals and objectives and purposes of the group or activity that the belief represents. My long-winded explanation for that. Well, no, that's an excellent explanation. And, and it feeds right into my next question, which was how, um, how does that pertain to the topic of ethics? Well, ethics is, see, it's an interesting thing because ethics is all about individual viewpoint, right? And, and individual uh, morality. What, what rules have you agreed to? How should life be lived? How should one go about doing what they're doing. And when we talk about ethics, I, I think generally we understand that we're talking about the, act, the, the, the rules or guidelines or actions or activities that are going to, that are going to help people get along, <laughs> you know, that are going to make things better. But 
you know, morality and ethics is very individual, and it really depends on the belief set you've subscribed to. My ethics are very different as an agnostic, you know, psych-oriented, you know, extreme uh, critic, you know, person who fights against extremism. I've got, I've got my own set of ideas of what is and isn't unethical that are going to be very different from an evangelical Christian. So the over the course of however long I've been teaching or facilitating workshops on ethics, you know, I have always said, and you don't have to subscribe to this, but I've always said for the purposes of conversation, my view has leaned towards the Buddhist idea of ethically positive behavior is that which seeks to balance my desire to be happy and my desire for happiness and to avoid suffering with others, mm-hmm. that that would be ethically positive. And I, and I totally get what you're saying that not everyone ascribes to that. Um, that, that has always been my view. And so that when I frame these conversations, it's kind of within that framework. Fair enough. And I, and I, and it's not like, I don't get what you're saying. It's simply a matter of recognizing that, the same words can be used by yes. different people with different value sets and they can all they can all claim legitimately mind you that by following their rules their guidelines their set of beliefs they are being quote unquote ethical yes i agree right cuz ethics is really a matter of of a measure of of subscription to a value set or a belief set, a, a, you know, etiquette, manners, a way of yeah. of dealing with others, um, and and self, you know, what's good, what's bad, that kind of thing. So that's why I always have to comment on the relativism of it, because there's really no objective standard, and so we really kind of have to roll our own, and that's fine, no problem with that. It doesn't make ethics less important or less valid or less real just because we made them up. We just have to recognize that. That's all. That's the only point I make with that. Right. Right. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. And 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 that all of those words, you know, I mean, just to jump off track a tiny bit, I mean, look at the word forgiveness, how loaded that is emotionally for people yeah. and how it means this huge spectrum of things across a wide variance. So, um, but your original point about it's how we navigate getting along with others, I think is, is at least a seed of that and what makes this conversation important to the topic of ethics. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, whether you think it's ethical or unethical to beat your spouse, your spouse is probably going to have something to say about it too. Yes, exactly. Right? So it's not just a matter of how you see things. Ethics really does have to consult with other people, too, uh, if you're really going to be practical and real about it. So uh, so absolutely, to that degree, I think we're, we're on the same plane when we're talking about trying to help people or facilitate methods that, that help people get along, you know? Yes. Yeah. Not yeah, rip each other's faces off and stuff like that. You know, we generally want people getting along. And I think if we're thinking of ethics in that direction we're thinking in the right the right the right way about it so then if we're talking about um meanings of words or meanings of ideas 
What is the difference, would you say, between indoctrination, cults, and radicalization? Well, okay, so these are these are interesting terms because they're related, but they are definitely not really even synonyms. In cults, you have radicalization occur, uh, and that can create you know problems. Radicalization occurs through the process of indoctrination. So you have a you have a spectrum or a scale. There's been there's this has been uh, posited as as a spectrum of influence in psychology, and you have indoctrination at one end, and you have what we refer to as thought reform, or what might be more colloquial thought colloquially thought of as brainwashing, uh, at the other end. So because indoctrination is a is a word that doesn't necessarily um have have the connotation or value that it's bad or evil that it has to be you know a, a bad thing we indoctrinate our kids in school about times tables and alpha, you know and, and arithmetic you don't you don't teach it you indoctrinate it you're getting kids to memorize this stuff you're not consulting their understanding of it you're just telling them 7 times 7 is 49 learn those numbers right learn that phrase 7 times 7 is 49 that's all you got to know and over time, as they grow and develop and they learn judgment, then you start dealing with critical thinking skills. And that's when indoctrination then has to turn over and become education, right? That's mm-hmm. where the influence spectrum can go in a positive direction, How because you, you are— you are influencing somebody by giving ideas to them, whether they're three years old or 30, you know, you're, you're communicating ideas. Indoctrination is is not necessarily consulting their judgment or their understanding when you're giving those ideas to them. It's just take this on, you know, memorize this, know this, learn this. And, um, and like I said, that could be used in a good way or it can be used in a bad way. You can indoctrinate children in things that they have no judgment on whatsoever and can't, like the belief in gods or something. I, you know, I'm not randomly throw that out there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And maybe that's a good idea. And maybe that's not a good idea. There are various, I, you know, there's, it's controversial. There's different, there's different schools of thought on that. Um, Well, and would you say it's how you do that? mm -hmm. Like here are a set of beliefs, political, Mm -hmm. religious, cultural, whatever. Here are a set of beliefs. And as the child grows, you can, and I realize this is slightly off topic, but you knew that was going to happen because yes, you knew that was going to happen. But but here's here's a set of beliefs. And as the child grows, or if you are joining a group, you know, as your understanding grows, the why of this belief or the expanded reality of this belief is shared so that the child or the adult can make their own decision about it. Well, that's exactly the thing. And and with indoctrination, you're not necessarily asking a person to make their own decision. You're simply saying, I, as I understand and use the word, and I understand there are different definitions for this. I'm not trying to speak from some ivory tower. This is how indoctrination always is. But when we're talking about it in a context of cults and extremist belief sets, then we are talking about overriding a person's judgment or negating their judgment in the first place. 
by simply saying, look, this information is so important, so valuable, so true, so amazing. You simply have to accept it as is and don't question anything. That'll come later. It'll all become clear to you, you know, that kind of thinking. Well, fair enough. You know, at the beginning of any dive into any subject, we're a little confused about everything and we don't quite know what's what to hold on to as far as what's, you know, what are the stable, important pieces of information I should learn here. So we all have a little bit of a floundering, but indoctrination, you know, with cults and, and radicalization, the kind we're talking about now, is it's a path of, of, of agreements that they're trying to basically lead you down. You know, if you, if you think about how you accept ideas or beliefs or think about things, Generally, these ideas are given to you. You know, you didn't sit there and think them up in the, you know, in, in, in a vacuum. Somebody introduced them to you. And when you join a, a group that is engaging in radicalizing behavior, there's an agenda. There's a path. There's a sequence of information that's going to be given to you in a certain order because it's been found by that group over time that this is the acceptable way to give you this information. So it, with something like, I don't know, maybe I should reference Scientology as, a, as, a, as an example here, maybe in broad terms, I think that people will, will have heard about, you know, you hear about the Xenu character and 76 million years ago, there was this big genocide and atomic bombs being blown up. Well, th th my point is they're not going to give you that stuff on day one. You're, you're going to hear what you're going to hear on day one is going to be very pleasant, very common sense, very rational sort of statements. Oh, you know, we, we have tools that can assist you in your life. You have a difficulty with economics or finance or or your parents or your kids or your job or your this or your that very practical, realistic stuff. Well, we can help you with that. Here's a here's a common sense principle you can use. And you go, oh, my goodness, this sounds so wonderful. Well, that's step one of the indoctrination. Then comes step two, then so, comes step three, right? So the difference between helping a student, whether it's a child or an adult or whatever, helping someone expand their choices and their knowledge is in the course of indoctrination, there's one answer. There's one leader. There's one right way, as opposed to here is one way of looking at this. And when you, if it's a new topic, particularly if you're in school or a new job or whatever, when you get your feet under you a little bit, you might have better ideas that, that will work better for you or that will work better for the organization. As opposed to if you have better ideas, they're not really better and, you're, and you, you need to follow this one right true way. Well, exactly. What you're, what you're, a, a real nice uh, frame of reference or a nice way of looking at this overall is indoctrination or education or influence of any kind that is that is limiting or or contracting your activity, your freedom of motion, your freedom of thought of decision making if it's limiting these things if if it's if it's an inverted you know sort of like contraction of your options then you're probably going down a path that you might want to think twice about um 
and and we see this all over the place but this is the sort of it, 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 what i'm really trying to describe here is like the, the invitations to black and white thinking to the us versus them kind of thinking again this stuff doesn't start on day one it's not you got to really watch for it because it's there's, there's red flags you can see but but generally all groups are going to try to any group you join, any activity you get involved in, they're going to want to get you to conform with the rules of the group. That's that's just groups 101. That's not anything nefarious. But if the result of that indoctrination or that getting involved in the group is, is a contraction of your ability to think, to act to, for yourself, make your own decisions, do your own things... If you want to go off on Thursday night and have a beer and now you're part of this group and they're like, oh, no, there are no beers on Thursday. In fact, there are no beers on Thursday. There's no beers on Friday, Saturday or Sunday. Really? Wow. Hmm. You know, you might want to think about that a little bit because this is this is limiting your behavior. And it tends to be the case that they're not they don't just ask for a couple things. They they want it all. They want all of you. <laughs> you got to watch for that. And all groups will limit your behavior to a certain extent. I would say so. I mean, just again, it's the rules of the thing. But but, but the, it's it's that you don't have a choice. Exactly. Like you know, this group doesn't do beer on Thursday night. If you want to do beer on Thursday night, go for it. But you can't do it with the group on Thursday night. Go do it with your Thursday night beer group. Right. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a take it or leave it kind of an attitude is yeah. a healthy, that's a healthy green flag, you could say, or, or you know, good, good, you know, good sign, excuse me, right. versus the, you know, more, it, it, the more it's going in the, you know, in the authoritarian direction or when you want to be watching out. If you have beer on Thursday night, you can't be our friends anymore. Yes. That's definitely where you, that's where you're crossing lines. And that, and because, because really what this comes down to also is in terms of, you know, there, there are no algorithmic solutions here or, or formula here. Every situation is sort of context specific. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, that's how truth is, right? It, 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 when you're, when you're dealing with complex issues like this, you have to consider the, the, the situation. And um, and you have to consider, uh, you know, long term as well as short term. We all might need to make sacrifices in the short term in order to have long term gains. So anything I say can be twisted to make a good situation bad or bad situation good. And this is why I always have to put these sort of disclaimers or or limiters out there and say, look, guys, you, you, this is stuff you have to think about. There's no simple Simon solution to spotting extremism, radicalization, or undue influence. Yes. You know, and, and so you got to pay paying attention and you got to be watching. So, so that's why we have to talk about this in very broad terms and try, and try, to, try to get across what's going on rather than, you know, they will say these words. That, that, that there's a million words they could say that will result in a bad thing happening to you, right? So this is why the, it, it, there's no substitute for just understanding this stuff. And, and that in itself is a really important point because when you are indoctrinated and radicalized, there is not complex thought. 
for you. There is not complex situational solutions. There is not step back and let's examine this. There is, here is the prescribed one right way and very possibly with one right words to describe it. That's correct. Exactly right. And in fact, that's another general red flag, you could say, or general indicator or sign that things might not be on the up and up is if you, as you continue to become involved with this group activity, belief set, the more you engage with it, the more you engage with other people who are part of it, the dumber you're getting. <laughs> In other right. words, the simpler right. everything. The limiting thing again. Yes. The, the right? triangle again. Yeah. And this is, and I, I think I should mention here, just as a as something you can watch for, thought stopping cliches. These are these are a dime a dozen in indoctrination setups or radicalization setups. Is I'm not gonna. We don't want you thinking too much about this. So instead, what we're gonna do is we're gonna give you this very simple mantra, this very simple cliche that you can just think of. And when you think of that or say that to yourself, then you don't have to think anymore. You know, oh boy, I'm really wondering about, you know, whether this Coke is it good for me or not. I really don't know. I've read things about sugar and it's really bad. And these companies might not, you know, have my best interests at heart. Hey man, just have a Coke and a smile. It's, <laughs> it's the real thing, baby. Right? Exactly. You just you just take all those concerns, all that thought, all those worries, all that potential criticism, and you just park it to the side with, hey, man, have a Coke and a smile. That's it. That's I, You don't have to think anymore. It's a thought-stopping cliche. And these activities are jam-packed with that stuff. So just another yeah. sign of what you could watch for. So are all... Cult members radicalized? No, they are not. Um, you, the, however, the thing about cults, and, and here let's be clear that we're talking about destructive cults. We're not talking right. about the local Girl Scout troop, which yeah. could be called a cult. Dictionary oh, yeah, definition, local right? Yeah. So we're talking about destructive cults now. And with destructive cults, you have a, what you have is, if you're going to imagine that there is a spectrum of belief, from zero to a hundred, right? And at zero, you just don't believe it at all. It's just not a reality. It's just not a belief in your head. And a hundred is, it's the only thing in your head. This belief is the totality of your existence. It is the most important thing you could possibly experience or have or know. It is truth with a capital T. It is worth dying for. It is worth killing for. It is the ultimate of existence. Everything about your existence is this belief. That is a hundred on this scale. Cult members are going to be 50 and above on that mm. scale. Okay. That's how, that's a, that's a simple, nice, easy, simple way to think about it is they've bought into this belief beyond the point that they should have. And that's where you're, that's where you're starting to get what we call this cult mindset or this extremist mindset. But it's a spectrum. You know, not everybody is at 100. In fact, really, the way I've described it, nobody's really at 100 because we all have other things we have our concerns with as human beings. We have to eat, sleep, 
you know, take a shower every now and again, you know, do all these regular things that we have to think about. None of us can be 100% committed. But you see these guys who will go blow themselves up for a belief. Right. You know, these terrorists, for example. I mean, that's pretty, that's 99, man. You're over there. I mean, you're giving up everything. And you are also, by the way, in the process of doing that, not just killing yourself, you're taking out other people who have nothing to do with your belief because that's what your belief calls for. So that's the that's the ultimate expression of of extremist radicalized behavior. And everything in between, right? For, I'd say again, you know, in a rough sense from 50 to 100, that's your cult mindset. That's where we have reasons to be concerned about how far down the rabbit hole this individual has taken this belief. Cuz the fact of the matter is there isn't any belief that any of us should have that much of a commitment to not you know not if we want to be good critical thinkers that's that's the fact and and when you and 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 the and the spectrum of influence and belief by the way is an emotional spectrum it's not an intelligence spectrum it it, it, it we're not talking about how smart you are you can be the dumbest or stupidest person in the world and still end up at 99 on this scale your intelligence has nothing to do with it it, this is really a scale of, of emotional commitment to a thing more so than than reasoning, I guess I could say. So who can be radicalized? Anybody. Anyone. Um, there is no such thing as a human being who is immune to being in a cult or immune to not being sold things, not being advertised to, not being radicalized. It's simply a matter of what are their buttons? What buttons can you push with that individual? Because it's not necessarily the case. I'm not saying everybody could be a Scientologist or everybody could be a Mormon or everybody could be an ISIS, you know, suicide bomber. That's not what I'm saying. You're, the thing that might radicalize you might be, you know, I don't know, blueberry muffins. I mean, it could be anything, right? It could be anything that you happen to have the acculturation language background experience to be potentially radicalized on that topic. That doesn't mean you're going to be gullible or, or open to being radicalized on any topic. But I will say that over time, under the right conditions, you can make regular, ordinary, good-hearted people into monsters in an incredibly short period of time. I think that there are studies that show that over and over yes. again, although it's really hard for most people to, to even connect with that because you're not in that space until it happens to you. That's right. That's right. And then once it happens, then your eyes are open. You, me, I mean, we've had these experiences. We've been up right up against it. And I mean, hell, I've been in it, right? I mean, I was all the way in it. And so, you know, once you once you pop out of that, you get this unique perspective of what it's like and what it looks like, what it sounds like for yourself and then also for other people. You start seeing it in other people. You go, oh, I get what this looks like now. I see how this happens. And then you realize we're all susceptible, right? That's a, that's something that gets realized very quickly after this is just how how susceptible we all are to it if you get the right buttons pushed. So it has. So it's something that you have have an emotional attachment to, or you build an emotional attachment to. That's right. So that's the entry point is through emotion. Absolutely, and the the two the two biggest fallacies that are committed by people who get involved in destructive cults 
is appeal to emotion and appeal to authority. And appeal to authority is a logical fallacy, not because listening to people who know what they're talking about or experts is a bad thing. That's not the, that's not the fallacy. The fallacy is assigning authority to people who have no such business having that authority. I should never have listened to a word L. Ron Hubbard had to say about, <laughs> about psychology. The man's a, you know, he's a, he's a Cretan, and he knows nothing about psychology. He took no formal education in it. He didn't do any practice with it. He just plagiarized it and, and, and criticized it. But I and my parents and other lots of other people bought into the fact that L. Ron Hubbard was an authority on the mind and on life, and he wasn't. He led a horrible life. He was not an example to follow, and the, the words that he said were hollow and often contradictory. But when you're in that headspace where you're buying into this beliefs and you're buying in and you're buying in, unfortunately, another thing that's very, very important to comment on about this is that the farther down the path you go toward accepting any kind of belief, the less you're able to critically think about it. The more yes. emotional commitment, the more you're buying into it, you're accepting it. Yes, this is true. Yes, this is really true. Oh, my God, this is actually really important. Other people should know about this. If the whole world knew about this, is sort of the progression, right? That if everybody knew about this, the world would be better. If everybody knew about this, we could change the world. Everything would be better. Oh, my God, everybody needs this. They have to have this. Well, by the time you're in that place where you're so on board that everybody has to have it, you've given up, you, you've given up, you've traded your ability to critically think about this thing now. Now you, now you can't, now you don't have the freedom to criticize it as, as you used to. You're not, in other words, as objective about it. This isn't voodoo or black magic. This is just how our minds work. So... You know, so when you're committed, you're not questioning, you're not doubting anymore, you're, you're all in. And with that loss of doubt goes a loss in critical thinking, and that is where all the trouble really begins. <laughs> Did I, I think you and I talked about this a couple of years ago, maybe in our last, in our last recorded conversation that one of the very first Scientology events I went to was in the temporary, um, between the old church and the new church in that temporary building. And there was a video and um, it was very, just the whole thing was very disorienting. But some young man in a tie and a shirt and a jacket got up and he talked and he welcomed everybody and everybody sat down and he did his little spiel and then he talked about the new org coming and the ideal org and how it would bring in so many people. And wouldn't it be wonderful if the whole world were Scientologists? Yep. And, and I remember just going like, what, what, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a thing. That's a thing. I, I am aware. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, but that's a thing with all these groups or with a lot of these yeah. groups, right, is they really want to get everybody it's almost, it's almost a, a red flag all on its own. Yes. If, you, if you have a group that insists that their solutions, their way, their method, their idea, their belief, their technique, whatever it is, 
is universally applicable and will absolutely help every single person it ever touches. Yeah, you you know that's over the fifty line. I think that's really <laughs> like we've crossed the line there because we are the fifty line. Well, you know, because it's kind of like there is no such thing. There is no right. such thing as any one piece of information that everybody's going to get on board with. Exactly. Yeah, just doesn't exactly. work that way. That's why. Yeah, exactly. It's why some of us, you know, like red and some like green and some people like to live in the country and some like to live in the city. You know, I mean, we we all resonate with different things and different things will work for us. Exactly. Exactly. And even if you throw out, I mean, this is just so humorous. It's just so funny because you start thinking about it and you realize there really isn't anything. I, I mean, I could say, well, we all have to breathe, right? Nope. Somebody's going to take an exception to that. There are breatharians and they are going to have a problem with me saying that we all have to breathe, right? Well, uh, I don't know. We all, uh, I don't know. We all have to eat. Nope. Nope. I don't got to eat. Nope. You'll find that there's a person out there who will say that, right? Well, the earth is round. Nope, definitely not. There's thousands of people who could counter you on that one. There's, nah, there's nothing. (laughs) Much less, much less at the level of Jesus is Lord, you know, like the pathway. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So. So, so aside from blowing up an abortion clinic. Yeah. Or taking out, um, you know, a building with an airplane. Yeah. What are some smaller scale behaviors um, of, of being radicalized in, in a um, toxic belief system? Yeah, okay. So basically it falls under the kind of characteristics we talk about a lot with these groups. The, the us versus them, you know, black and white kind of thinking, any push in this direction. Now, this is there's a pale shade of this that sometimes crosses the 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 fifty line I guess we'll say um, since I'm sort of using that analogy here in this in this talk um, in sports there are some times in sports where things get too far right we, like the the riots and crap right in Britain or in South America and stuff where people start going a bit nuts over over soccer games getting lost but. But other than that, sports is generally a safe version of us versus them. It's it's sports. It's fun. It's it, you know it's not a big deal. When you cross the line, is when it's not okay that you lose. When it's when it's when there is existential threats are a result of you losing. Right of of our team. If we don't win, it's our way or the highway. If we don't win everybody's going to die. Everybody's going to be for it. Every, you know, it's, it's moving in that direction. Now I'm talking about, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm saying things right now that are very extreme at the lower end of this might be, um, statements or thoughts or ideas or expressions that maybe the other guys or the opposition or the critics shouldn't exist. Those people should just go away. Somebody should do something about that guy, right? Some kind of like, like the, before there's action, there's the thought of action is kind of the point I'm trying to make right now. And maybe I'm not giving the best examples, but 
when you start seeing expressions or feelings or you know this animosity this an, this open antagonism toward anything that is not us you know if 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 us if we are defined by this belief set that we are being radicalized in or that we're accepting and and really buying into then once we start lines get crossed after we start talking about how we need to do away with we need to somehow make not exist anymore anything that is in opposition to us and when it doesn't particularly matter when you're when you're all in on a belief who or what opposes you they're the bad guys period so any kind of opposition right and i'm not saying everybody has to get along in this you know pollyanna world i'm just saying that when the pushback is you know we have to take those guys out they can't be around it's us or them that's when you have that's when you cross lines that's when you're crossing lines that's when okay, it's so going to this too raises far. a couple of questions yeah does radicalization only occur within groups or or is or can it be i'm not sure i'm framing this right yeah can it is it can it be individual between people let's say yeah. let's say that you and i have some terrible falling out and now I'm out to get you. Yep. Is that a form of being radicalized? Or is that just, not just, is that a form of being a human being who's emotionally gone too far? Well, that's that's the thing. It's actually the same manifestation, but a little bit of a different context. Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk about indoctrination, when we talk about radicalization, we are talking about the, the the context of these words are usually used with the ba- it, it, with groups. Uh, maybe we can bring it down to a one-on-one relationship. You know, certainly domestic violence or um, you know intimate partner violence is uh, operates on the same dynamics as a cult or as you know as human trafficking. Even I mean, you get you get a lot of the same control mechanisms and procedures, gaslighting and the you know, the, the, the way that uh, trauma, trauma bonding, the stuff that goes on is same, same across these domains. So we see similarities, I guess I could say. And so I'm not going to say, no, there's not, it, it's not like these two friends who are fighting have nothing in common with this other situation over here. But I wouldn't describe two friends fighting that way over a disagreement on something as radicalization. I don't think that that's exactly what that would be. You would have to have the cause of the problem be an escalating, uh, what's the word, Um, volume, I don't know, a a commitment to a belief set, to to an idea, to an ideology in order for it to be radicalization. It's not just people fighting or having disagreements. It's because of this ramping up of this belief. So it's not like if you and I live next door and you painted your house a color I didn't like and now we're fighting about it. Yeah. It would be more, let's say, a couple is married and one um, has 
followed a political ideology that the other one disagrees with. And that, that belief in that exterior ideology escalates, continues to escalate Correct. to where they're there become aggressions. Exactly. And we see this most recently in QAnon, for example. Families getting breasted up over this, right? People like, I lost my mother. I mean, this is how they talk about QAnon people is, I lost my mother. I lost my father to QAnon. Like, it's this thing that you lose people to. Well, that's because it's exactly how it feels. They were there, and now suddenly a whole different person is there. I mean, this is, you know, the, the other thing about this is the personality changes are, are, are noticeable. I mean, they're huge. They're, they're big. It says he's not the same guy as he used to be. She's not the same. She doesn't have the same temperament anymore. She's not patient anymore. She's, she's off the rail. She's, you know, whatever. You know what I mean? It's just it, it changes you. And this is where people become very alarmed as they see these changes. And they're like, oh, my God, what's going on? You know, and unfortunately, by the time it's outwardly manifesting, you might already have a real big problem on your hands. This is why you want to pay attention to the earlier signs of, of this stuff. So what then are the risk factors for becoming radicalized? Well, OK, so it can happen to anybody. And um, and so it's not a matter of intelligence. I got to get that out of the way always right away because everybody thinks you got to be a moron to join a cult and all this. Total nonsense. Um, it's really just whistling past the graveyard because the people who say that, are, you know, they just they're just <laughs> sort of like, oh, yeah, I'm too good for that. You know, and you just like, dude, if you had any idea how susceptible you are. Um, so so first, I'll just kind of cancel all those ideas. But there are things that do seem to, this is not, there's not like, it's not totally confirmed, totally nailed down by science. It's not like 100% that this is always the case, but it tends to be the case that emotional upheaval, trauma, stress, anxiety, major change in your life like going off to college, a change of location, a change of lifestyle, like big changes, can create a susceptibility to a change of belief set, you know, a new look at, a new lease on life, a new way of looking at things. Uh, people get stressed. Kids go to college. People lose their jobs. People get divorced. People lose their children. Un untimely deaths. These kind of traumatic losses or serious life events can cause a person to feel confused, upset, um, that life doesn't even have any meaning. They can have an existential crisis and suicidal. Uh, all of these things can lead a person in desperation to look for answers to the problem. And then they might glom on to the first or second thing that comes across their path, which might not necessarily be the best thing for them. And, it, and it's not that they should have known better. How can you? And in, in a dearth of information, when you don't have the information, how can you know? So this is why we have to continually stress, find out, be active, be an active learner, you know, to take time. Would it be fair to say they might glom onto these things that they would not have had there not been the upheaval? Oh, absolutely. That's my point. Yeah, absolutely. If, you, if your life is going stable and everything's steady, Eddie, and it's great. 
why would you go join some radical group that, that that's going to completely up up you know upend your whole life? B people don't do that, right? So, you know, when I was growing up in the cult that I grew up in, um, we had uh, a neighbor who uh, rented the garden behind where we lived who was a member of the Jehovah's Witnesses, very nice gentleman would, you know, work the garden and then he and his family would drop off vegetables for my mom. For my mom. Um, but I remember years later, after my mom had moved away and I was in the same community, um, friends of mine had gone through some terrible trauma and the Jehovah's Witnesses, these same people were on their doorstep offering support, condolences, solutions, the love bombing that, that we hear about as a tool of, of indoctrination. Yeah. Well, um, and now this past year with COVID and, you know, George Floyd, particularly here where we are ground zero, I can't tell you that I think I've gotten two or three letters from the Jehovah's Witnesses, as have my neighbors and other people I know. Well, you could expect more of that because what's happening now is an amalgamation of big data and evangelicals. The, the churches in America are now, um, if you remember the Cambridge Analytica scandal from early, I think, 2016, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. where big data is being used, where they're harvesting, you know, these databases of uh, uh, 2,000, 3,000 data points on each individual um, in these data sets, and they will use them to now target. There are companies that are getting this information and are targeting specifically people whose spouses have recently died, people who have lost their jobs, the people who have had traumatic episodes in their life, a loss of a loved one. They are finding this information on social media in big data terms, like they're finding, you know, in a geographical zone. Tell me how many people lost a loved one in the last, you know, a month or two. And then they will target advertisements to those people's social media pages, specifically targeting their individual loss. Lost a loved one recently, needing help, looking for answers, don't know where to turn, you know, marketing button, marketing button, marketing button. And get them signing up. And this is actually a way that churches are trying to pump up their, uh, is through micro-targeting, micro-marketing, they are trying to pump up their attendance by specifically targeting the exact people we're sitting here talking about right now. So this is why I know this is not just some opinion of mine. This is actually like almost scientifically being run as a marketing activity now for religion in the United States. Well, you might have, you must have a peek at my screen or a crystal ball because my next question oh. <laughs> is how does the internet and social media play into this whole idea of indoctrination yeah. and radicalization? Because that has been a game changer in so many ways, but particularly here. Yeah, big time. Uh, and there's a lot of layers to this. I, I could talk about this for a really long time. So I'm going to treat it real short. Um, one, uh, social media has concentrated our attention and, and has created a short attention span theater mindset in news consumers. Mm -hmm. And, our, and our, our news literacy, our internet media literacy is very low. 
Um, generally across the boards, we are incredibly poor consumers of information. And by that, I mean we will take our news from the headlines only at this point. I mean, we've shortened it down so much now that we don't even click the link or open the article. And um, we think we can take everything there is to know from the headline, even though I have literally read articles, uh, science articles even, um, where the headline was the exact opposite of the truth of, of what the story was actually saying. Because the people who write the stories don't even, aren't even the ones who write the headlines. So... That it doesn't sound like a big deal until you realize that if you're making major life decisions or views of how the world is and how it works and basing your opinions on those, and all you're doing is consuming headlines, your view of the world is incredibly limited and biased, by the way, by all these people who are writing these headlines. And this in itself creates a pattern of shallow thinking. And I don't know how else to say it except that. It's just shallow thinking. It's just one-dimensional thinking. It's not deep thinking. It doesn't go into the stories and what's really going on. And when you get into a habit of that kind of media consumption, then remember what I said earlier about thought-stopping cliches. <laughs> Exactly they become much easier for you to consume and accept because that's how you're accepting your news is pretty much through thought stopping cliches. You know, these one liners that, you know, these they are more about trolling and 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 uh, dunking on people than they are about delivering information. So so that's made us as a society, maybe as a world, less critical thinkers. Just, just that alone, just the short attention span theater aspect of it. The other thing about social media um, as a platform or as a, as, a, as a thing is that it's feeding you what you want to see and hear. It's not feeding you the truth with a capital T. It's only feeding you the truths you already believe in and accept as true because it wants to keep your eyes on the screen. That's the way the social media companies have designed their products. And so the way to keep your attention on the screen is keep you anxious, upset, concerned, worried, right? These will have, these have four to five times the emotional impact of joy and happiness. So because we're, we're you know, our brains are tuned to threat assess all the time. And so all these threatening, horrible, awful headlines and all this stuff, um, again, contributes to what I'm trying to what I'm the picture I'm trying to paint here is it contributes to overall a more anxious, stressed, worried, upset society. And the more upset, traumatized and stressful people are, as we just went over, the more susceptible they are to extremist cult recruitment and thinking. So it's a very vicious circle of one feeding the other. And it's really hard to tell which tail is wagging which dog when it comes to social media and extremist belief sets, because these two things feed one another almost as though they were made for each other. So you have the appeal to authority yep. and the emotion with the reinforcement of confirmation bias. Yep, correct. 
And, and no one, that's black and white thinking, very few people are able to say to someone that they disagree with, help me understand your point of view. Yes, that lack of civility, manners, etiquette, you know, the social grease that, that allows us to rub elbows together and have a society, that's becoming, I, I've seen those concepts ridiculed, uh, made fun of on social media. How did, civ, act civil, what kind of nonsense is that, right? You're just, you're, you're just a Nazi apologist. I mean, I've, I've seen some pretty crazy statements made by that stuff. We, we've really got to get a handle on this. Because if we don't get ourselves under control on social media and start talking to each other in a, in a respectful, civil manner, then there are going to be consequences. And we don't want those consequences. So I think we need to, you know, get a, well, get a grip on that. we're already seeing some of those consequences. Precisely my point. QAnon, for example, is a beautiful example of, of the ultimate expression of just how bad this incivility and nonsense and divisiveness can get is you can get people thinking that, you know, that there are pedophile rings un under pizza parlors and um, and that Trump, of all people, is the savior of, of Western <laughs> society. I mean, it, it just, it, the, 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 the ridiculousness of these statements is, is, is obvious just on the surface. You don't even really have to deep dive into this stuff too much to see how ridiculous it is, which should tell you that the people who buy into these, how far... How far do you have to go? I mean, how? what would somebody have to tell you for you to go to, to agree to the conclusion that Donald Trump is the savior of the West, of Western society and is going to, you know, save all of us by destroying our government? I mean, I, 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 the, the path of lies that would lead to that conclusion must be very long and twisted. But remember... I grew up in that ideology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how they, and I know many people that I grew up with actually believe that. Um, mm -hmm. People that I know are good, smart, kind, caring, loving, lovable human beings actually believe that. And, mm -hmm. and I want to say to them, help me understand this because because i grew up writing letters to legislators to um you know anti-communist you know get us out of communist influence whatever and now 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 the man who's who's palling around with with putin is is our savior i i don't understand how we went you know in the very short years <laughs> since I have been out, how did we go from there to here? But I do understand the foundation of that belief system. And it's very interesting because I have been watching um, Hulu's series, Mrs. America, about Phyllis Schlafly. Mm, I've not heard of that one. And, oh, it's, you know who she is though, right? Mm. She's the woman who um, basically stopped the Equal Rights Amendment from, from being ratified. Oh, I think I've heard her name. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know you know who she is, but yeah. I've been watching this because um, I think it's very well done. I've just started watching it, but she was a she was a hero 
in in my world because she stopped this terrible right. communist propaganda that was going to take children and indoctrinate them. Um, and so it's very interesting for me as an adult and not having examined that particular belief at all, you know, just it just lived in the background to to look at this from the other side. It's very interesting. And and I I just, you know, always want to say, help me understand how how you got here. Because I think at a core place, we all want the same things for our families and our loved ones. We have different ideas of how to get there. But at some point, those different ideas went from here to like here about what's okay and how to achieve them. Well, exactly. And the the... This is really important. Of all the things we've talked about so far, I think this is the most important thing I can say about this. And 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 this is really really difficult for some people, but it, but it's it's still it doesn't mean it's not important. Um, there's there's a difference between the reality of a thing and how we talk about that thing. So and you and we and we 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 touched on this at the very beginning when we talked about when we talked about ethical relativism how how you can look at things from different points of view depending on how you're approaching it ethically you know where are you at on your moral plane and 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 what flavors of morality are are, are most you know uh, good for you versus other people who are going to have different takes on things and we see this across social issues all over the place you know, trans versus non-trans, abortion versus non-abortion, et cetera. These are really deep, you know, hardcore arguments because the arguments that they're based on, that they're resting on, are complicated. They're difficult arguments. And so it doesn't, it doesn't, they don't succumb to thought-stopping cliches really. And so the thought-stopping cliches just kind of pile on and make it even worse. They don't make it better. Um. But my but my other really super important point here is that you can frame a thing as a good or bad. Same thing, right? You can have people over here looking at it as, a, as, this, as the thing that's great, and you can have people over here looking at it as this horrible, awful thing. And, and, and I wish I had a simpler answer to how to resolve that, but I don't except to say... It's on you to study both ends and figure out for yourself how you should be looking at this based on your own value set, not this or this, but look at it for yourself. And that's what critical thinking is. And and that is so important because it's the only way I know to not get sunk into the us versus them fight that exists around every single important social and societal value we have. That everyone can have, there, there's some, you know, every belief set, every idea has a for and an against, and they've got really good arguments on both sides for why that should be that way. Very sensible, very reasonable, very logical. You can logic your way into being anti-abortion. You can logic your way into being pro-abortion, right? Or pro-life, whatever, you know, how pro-life, anti-abortion, whatever. <laughs> you, you can work that out either way and be convinced at the end of working it out that you are the most saintly, 
you know, ethical, moral, awesome person, whoever existed because of your stance on this issue, either side. This is the, this is the miracle and tragedy of, of, human, of, of human thought is that we can justify anything. We can make anything make sense. So, and I only stress all this because I'm trying to point out that there really isn't any such thing as absolute truth. There's really just a matter of people have perspectives on things. And I'm not talking about two plus two equals four. I'm not talking about hard science facts like no. gravity exists. I'm talking no, right. about, you know, is abortion good or bad? Well, it depends on who you talk to. It's very yeah. subjective, right? So, yes. so who's right, who's wrong? Well, in an ultimate sense, everybody's right and everybody's wrong. It's just a matter of, you know, how are they looking at it? And I have to stress this because... Um, because people can get confused. They can be like, well, I thought it was the good thing to do to be anti-abortion. I was told my whole life, anti-abortion, I'm anti-murder. This is a good thing. I don't want abortions because I don't want murder. And you go, yeah, from that point of view, you're absolutely right. Now let's flip the script on you. How did you arrive to this idea that abortion is not murder? Let me honestly have a conversation and, and look at this and figure this out. I did that for the abortion is murder side. I wanted to figure that out. I didn't understand it. Didn't make any sense to me. So I went and had a bunch of conversations with people who truly believe that abortion is murder. And now I get it. Now I get where they're coming from. And it's not that they're evil people who must be destroyed and they're all horrible and awful. And how dare they think that? They are people with opinions. You know? So in the context then... Of, of not becoming radicalized, it's, it's being able to hold your own opinion, mm -hmm. being able to step out of that and look at another opinion. Yes. And allow either side to have theirs. Bingo. I can have mine. Yes. I can have mine. And, and you can have yours. And we can agree to disagree yeah i, I mean it sounds so, it, it, yeah it sounds so simple but but yeah but that's, but that's what's not radicalized exactly that is the anti-radicalization formula you're literally i mean it, it sounds trite people think it's silly but it's not it, it really is the way that we have formed our societies and have gotten along for millennia you know, this rise of social media and this idea that everybody is now, you know, that their egos are exposed and we're seen in everybody's heads now. And, oh, my God, everybody's just gotten so awful. What happened to the world? The world was always like that. It's just now you can read people's minds because they, they won't shut up about it while they're, you know, posting on social media all the time. So, okay, so now you, you know, now you get to add mind reading to your interplay with other people. It doesn't change the fact that, if we can't learn to get along with each other with radically different ideas, then that radicalization process is going to destroy us. It's really that simple. And so, so my, my enthusiasm for this topic is, is, is driven by that, is I want people to get along. And the so only if we go back to this, to this the, just touch back on social media again. Yeah. So social media feeds this by 
making us anxious, stressed, worried. Yep. By feeding confirmation bias. Yep. Heightening the emotion. Yep. And by removing, well, and as you said, the short attention span theater. Yep. And one other and one other element as well, which I'll throw in right now, is anonymizing people. Yes, exactly. It removes this this connection that yes. we have to other human beings, so that we feel empowered or enabled to be jerks. Exactly, because if you're insulting your aunt Sue. You know exactly who that is. You've met her in real life. You know it's not okay. You know there's going to be real-world consequences for doing that. And so you don't do it. But you can insult, you know, I don't know, uh, Trash Talker 79, you know, like that. <laughs> Who's that? You know, right. could be some 14-year-old in his basement. It could be some 65-year-old Afghan vet. It could be some, you know, Chinese spy. I mean, it could be anything. You don't know who that person is that you're talking to. So anything goes because consequences don't matter when you're never going to see the person again, never going to hear from them, or don't know anything about them. It's easy to sell yourself on the idea that there's no consequences to this conversation. Well, the fact of the matter is there are always consequences to every conversation, but easy to blow that off when it's Trash Talker 79, right? Right, or Susie Q's, you know, black-eyed poodle. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so there's, I believe, I want, I want your input on this, but I think that there is a perception that only people who are mentally ill, not just unstable or traumatized or going through a different difficult time, but people who are mentally ill are really the only ones who will truly become radicalized and um, do something very destructive. Yeah, that's really nuts. Um, it's unfortunate because it really betrays an ignorance of mental illness and mental health. Um, and these are difficult words. This is, you know, if you're really going to get into the details of it, it, it gets super complicated super fast. So I'm not going to go there. I'm going to keep it real simple. And I'm just going to say, look, um, mentally ill people, by definition, have brains that don't work. Um, and by that, I mean, these are people who are not able to make the same kind of logical connections that you or I make. I mean, just the fact that you're listening to this show, that you're listening to a sequence of ideas expressed in a, in a rational way, indicates that you've got a thought process that goes cause effect one two three right you can think in sequences etc cetera, etc cetera. mentally truly mentally ill people don't have that ability something's broken up there and i'm not talking about people who are depressed people who have anxiety or some personality issue i'm talking about mental illness now like the, like the real stuff not these words we bandy about Right. Disorders. Yes, I'm talking about the real stuff. So, so it's the exact opposite is actually true. It is mentally ill people don't fall for this stuff because most of the time they don't even have the attention span to be able to maintain attention long enough to buy into this crazy belief set, much less become radicalized by it. Now, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that 
<laughs> merely labeling anybody who gets involved in an extremist belief set as mentally ill definitely demonstrates that you don't understand what radicalization is or what mental illness is. Well, and I, I think that it further, because as you know, this, you know, this is one of my passions is, is destigmatizing mental illness. Yep. Um, and I think it further stigmatizes and marginalizes human beings who have an illness. You know, exactly. we don't accuse people of being, of you know, only people, only people with diabetes are going to be radicalized and, and blow up a building. Exactly. And you know, that's and that's as crazy as this gets, because it becomes a point of othering. And it becomes yes. a point where you're us versus theming on mentally ill people who cannot even defend themselves, much less, you know, deal with you and your nonsense. So it really is incumbent on us to understand their plight because they're not in a position where they're going to advocate or deal with all of our bullshit about them so that we can help them, you know, and they need our help. They need our compassion, our tolerance, our understanding, and our support. They do not need our insults and our derision. And that's yeah. what, that's basically what you get when you start calling people mentally ill who are not mentally ill. They do have an issue, but that's not what the issue is. So then I want to ask the flip side of this question. Can being indoctrinated well over the 50 line yeah. create mental illness? See, that's a tough one. That's a tough one, because that's where we get into actual definitions of mental illness. And it depends on, are you going to talk about personality disorders as mental illness now, or are we talking about something else, like actual biological malfunctioning? Because it's not going to create mm -hmm. biological malfunctions. It's not going to do that. It's not going to create lesions or you know, problems of a physical nature with your brain or with your mental apparatus. Um, it will screw up your thinking. It will make you act um, kind of interesting way, in interesting and destructive ways. And how far I will go with this is I will say, because it's a matter of record, that it can lead to psychotic breaks. People who get involved in extremist belief sets can experience psychotic episodes. And I would certainly refer to a psychotic break or episode as a kind of mental illness. I, don't, I would not call that a personality disorder or, you know, something like mm -hmm. that. That's, that's a whole different level of, of disarrangement upstairs. So, um, so I will say that it can go in that direction, but that's about as far as I, I would go with it right now. Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree with that. I think that's the suppression of your personal values hitting hard up against um, imposed values. Absolutely. There's, there's personality conflict. There are moral conflicts mm -hmm. or ethical conflicts, right? There's value conflicts. And, um, and also it needs to be appreciated that one of the things that tends to happen on the extreme ends of, of these spectrums is time crunch. One of the ways that pressure is exerted on people, this was certainly true for me, and I've, and I've witnessed it enough times in enough other groups to kind of get that this is sort of a thing that happens in a lot of these, not all of them, but a lot of them, is one of the pressure points is time. We don't have an infinity of time to get the job done. 
right? The world's going to end tomorrow if we don't fill in the blank, right? If we don't get this done, everybody's going to die. Everything's for it. And there's this crunched time. And there are very few things in my own personal experience that make me as crazy as not having enough time to get too much done. And that itself can produce this kind of mania, this kind of like, and it, and you wind up, you know, you get wound up enough on that, you can snap. So there's, so there's different. So my point is really, there's just, there's different ways of, of 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 approaching that pressure, that 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 breaking point. There's different ways it might manifest, might come about, but that can happen and has happened many times in these destructive cults. Okay, so I want to touch on some mainstream organizations. Sure. I want to touch on medicine, churches, military, um, and and tactics or practices that bring adherence into following, you know, following the leader. Sure. What what makes those not radicalized or not a destructive cult, or are they? Well, see, that's the thing. It's all a matter of intent, purpose, design, and action. What actions are carried out by this group? Not not what are they telling each other, but what are they actually doing? You know, you could have theoretically, you could have a group of people who were the most hard ass, hard nosed mean-looking, skinhead dude, you know, kind of group, right? Who just talk to each other at the, you know, longshoremen, a rough go, you know, nasty, swearing every other word. You could have this group of guys who just look and sound like the, the biggest jerks, right? Much skinhead neo-Nazis even. Trading insults. I mean, you just wouldn't even want to be around them. And yet every year at Christmas, there they are with, you know, doing the toy drive. And there they are protecting the battered mothers. And there they are protecting battered kids or something, right? Abused kids or something like that. And you go, well, they're a rough group. They look rough. They sound rough. They talk rough. But what do they do? That's what tells you is a group destructive or not. At the end of the day, it's not about their rhetoric and it's not about their beliefs. I don't care about anybody's beliefs. What I care about is what they do. And um, and you can also, conversely, if we go to the other end of the spectrum of this, you can have a group that talks the talk, you know, about family values and family education and a good moral religious upbringing and following the Bible and just listening to Jesus and all of that. And that group could be sending out their 12-year-old girls to have sex with potential new members and they call it flirty fishing. And a group called The Family did exactly that. So it's, again, not a matter of what are you talking about, what are you thinking about, what are you believing in. It's a matter of what are you doing. This is really important. Military, medicine as a, as a general practice. Generally, and this is going to sound funny to me coming, out of, coming at this, it's saying the military is this, but mainly it's a constructive activity. Now, the military, of course, blows shit up and kills people on purpose, but it's but yes. but but we have to examine 
the values and agreements that we all have made as part of our national situation, as our society, we, we lay claim to, we stake a claim to land, and we say, this land is ours, it's not yours, you don't get to come here, this is our place. And if you're gonna, if you're gonna you know, try to come in on my place, well, I'm gonna stop you. Well, how am I gonna stop you, with words? No. I mean, maybe there is diplomacy, but if words break down, at the end of the day, somebody's gonna have to go stand on a hill and take care of those guys or they're going to take over our land, and then we don't have the land anymore, and then we don't have a country. So the military serves that purpose. It's a purpose. It has to exist if you want to get along as a country and have this model of how we live our lives, then we have to have a defense. And conversely, we have to have an offense because sometimes people do things elsewhere that we really object to. People like Hitler, people like Mussolini, Right? We had to go stop them. So is the military a destructive cult? No. However, the military is a group that demands instant and immediate compliance with orders. And the reason for that, of course, is because in the heat of battle, more people could die than live if you don't pay attention to the orders. You're not always in a position where you're going to be knowing whether the orders you're receiving are good or bad, right or wrong. So you're just kind of put in a system where you have to have faith and trust in the system. And generally speaking, it works out more often than not. Although I know right now you could throw 50,000 examples at me of times when the system is broken down and hasn't worked. Guess what? It's a human system. That's what's going to happen. I'm not trying to act as an apologist for bad behavior, and I'm not trying to say that trauma or us versus them, extremist nonsense, is acceptable. I'm not trying to say that at all. But I am trying to say that there is a difference in the way you can objectively or semi-objectively rate the constructiveness or destructiveness of a group or activity based on, is it helping or hurting more people from a particular point of view? And from our point of view, our military is more helpful than it is destructive to the American citizens. And so I'm talking about that, you know. Would you say yeah. that our military is indoctrinated? Oh, God, absolutely. See, here's the thing where it gets all confused. Okay. Is, yes. see, yeah. see, is, is the techniques are the same. Yes. Right? And it can yes. get confusing. But this yes. is where you have to have, you have to get to the level where you got to be able to think with this stuff, right? It's like, this is why I made the point earlier of trying to, of trying to stress Indoctrination as a word is it is valueless. It doesn't, it's not good, it's not bad. It is what it is. Sometimes it's useful and it's a good thing. Sometimes it's not. And it's a bad thing. Context. It's like a shovel. Yeah. It's like a shovel. Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes it's useful and it's good when you're digging your garden. And it's bad if you're hitting someone over the head with it. Bingo. It's a tool. And and that, you got it. And, and if you're going to yes. get a bunch of grunts who have signed on to serve for their country for an X number of years for whatever exchange they're going to get, if you're going to get those people into shape and into a position where they can trust one another and operate as a group first and as individuals second, 
That is what the purpose of boot camp and military indoctrination is for. If it goes beyond that, it's not doing its job. It's doing something else. So do you have the potential for abuse in a group like the military? Absolutely you do. In fact, we could say that the stricter, the more hardcore, the more extreme a group is in its demands on its individual members, the greater the chances of, of potential abuse. Absolutely. And, and I'm the last person who's ever going to say abuse hasn't happened in the military or the military is just a bunch of great guys and what's the problem? Because, of course, there are problems with the military. You have an almost unlimited power in a very small number of people. And, of course, some of them are going to take advantage of that and are going to take advantage of it in a psychotic way. That doesn't mean that the group as a whole is a bad thing. And that's what I'm trying to differentiate. Right. And I do that by stressing action versus belief or words. Mm-hmm. Because that's the only way you can really judge these things. And I am sure that in the last 24 to 48 hours, there's probably been, you know, 10, 20, 30 objectionable things that military people have done that we can pull up links to and go, see, they're bad people. Well, that was a bad person. Doesn't mean the whole group is represented by that one doofus or that one unit or even that one squad. As opposed to in a group like, for easy math, Scientology, yep. where disconnection is applauded as a group value. Well, exactly. And and really that is just a it's just another reflection of the us of the destructiveness of the us versus them. Look, if you mm-hmm. want to have a belief set that Xenu committed genocide here 76 million years ago and auditing is the only way to attain personal spiritual freedom and immortality, I don't care. Go right ahead and knock yourself out. I really don't care. If your belief is such that that because you believe those things, you can't talk to me because I think differently than you. Now we're having real world other person consequences. And that's where the value judgments have to start coming in and going, wait a second, is that really called for here? Or is that some arbitrary bullshit because your cult leader doesn't want you talking to me because I might give you information that might drag you away from him scamming you of all your money? Right. Because when the real activity of Scientology and this is how we can we can really come to the brass tacks of this is, you know, Scientology is a money making scam. Scientology is not improving the world. It is not helping at disaster relief sites. It's not improving literacy. It's not solving miseducation. It's not solving criminality. It's not ending war. All of those things are things Scientology says they're doing, which is why I say them. But they're not doing any of those things. What they're doing in the real world is breaking up families and ripping people off. And we can point to example after example after example after example of this. And we can prove conclusively that that is the primary activity that that group is involved in. And it's fooling people that it's doing something different than that. And it's not a cynical view and it's not, you know, a hating view. I don't hate Scientology or Scientologists just kind of what they're doing. 
So that's, right. Right. you know, so right. that's how I can make these differentiations. That's, you know, and, and the basis of which I, I, I make these judgments. Okay, so let's end off with, yeah. how do we protect ourselves? How do, how do we not get caught up in something like this? Okay. Because if we're all vulnerable, yeah. <laughs> and we all have hot buttons, and we're all on social media, yep. <laughs> how do we not go down the rabbit hole, Chris? <laughs> all right, I'll give you two pieces of advice. It's the best I can do in terms of simple, direct advice on this. Uh, thing number one, is slow the hell down. Take your time, okay? Mm -hmm. um, the number one way, I'll say, I'll, I'll go out on a limb and I will say, one of the number one tactics that is used by destructive cults of all stripes, religious or not, because remember, this isn't just religion. You could have sports cults, martial arts cults, political cults, right? All of it. But one of the key ways that they get you involved is they pressure you right from the get-go. Don't think, act. Don't, you know, you know, you feel, they're, they're appealing to your emotion. In Scientology, the day you walk in, they would say, you know, you, they try to sell you a book or a course, and you'd be like, oh, I don't know, man. I don't think I have the money for this. Don't think, no. You need to know what you're doing, right? And if you just know, if you just have certainty, if you just, you know, go with what feels right. What feels right? It feels, you, know, you walked in here, you got all this, you know, they're trying to rile you up to make emotional-based decisions is where I'm going with this, right? I'm not doing a very good job of it, but that's, they, they, they try to rile you up with that and get you all emotionally enthusiastic. And the only reason, the only advice I can give here for this is it's not hard to do that. People like being riled up. It feels really good. So try, try really hard to always have this little voice in the back of your head that's always going, hey, hey, <laughs> wait a second. Give this, think about this for a minute. Because if, it, if the offer that they're making you is, is, is the most wonderful, amazing opportunity or potential experience or belief or whatever that you've ever heard, it's going to be just as true tomorrow as it is right now. You don't have to act today. You don't have to act now. It's a, it's a actually really crude and gross sales tactic is what it is. But they all do it. And it's fascinating how, watching them do it. So that's one thing to watch out for, is just give yourself the time to really consider the decisions that you make when they're the big, important decisions, like how much, you know, joining a group. That's kind of an important decision. Before you give over money, before you give over your allegiance, take the time to check it out first, you know. And the second thing I can say, and um, this is just a very, very broad general rule of thumb, of course, is critical thinking. You know, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. If it, you know, it, because it, we live in the world we live in. Let's not try to make it a fantasy world. <laughs> There's a lot of people saying that. You are not going to save the world. No, you're not. And, and it's okay. And it's okay that you have, a, have the life that you have. You don't have to be Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or, you know, Ryan Reynolds or whoever your idol is. 
it, you know, it, it's okay to aspire to better things, of course. It's always good to, you know, to want more and to, to, to work for more. But these get-rich-quick things, these these schemes, these, these, these things that sound too good to be true, almost, actually, I'm not even going to say almost. They, they just are too good to be true. <laughs> just don't buy into them, you know? Right, right. Keep it, your... It, every good... It takes hard work. You have to pay your dues. Exactly. And even you then, even then, what you know, you got to understand that every celebrity you see, every big name CEO you see, everybody who's in the billion year, billion dollar tax bracket, in other words, these are lucky people. We really don't pay enough attention to the luck factor with these folks. Yes, you're not going to get there if you don't work hard. But guess what? Hard work ain't going to necessarily be the only thing that's going to get you there. If you don't have that break, if you don't have that luck, if you don't have, you know, there's a lot of skilled actors. There's a lot of skilled musicians. There are some amazing artists out there that you're never, ever going to see or hear because they just never get their lucky break. That's a big part of that. And we don't we leave that out of our success formulas because we like to fool ourselves that anybody can make it. And it's like, ah, OK, you know, let's let's just be anybody can make it. But everybody can't make it. Well, that's the thing. And 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 if, and, and without that <laughs> luck factor, you know, it's 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 yeah. difficult. Yes, you have to work hard. Yeah, you got to you gotta pay your dues, make your sacrifices. But, you know, it's like they say it's like uh, the, the old Star Trek quote, you know, you can do everything perfectly and still fail. Yeah. A and we have to have a better tolerance of that. There's an intolerance in America for failure. And, and I don't mean let's make a bunch of excuses for failure. I just mean we don't all have to be Bill Gates. That's all I'm saying. That's really all I'm saying. So this this. One of the things that we didn't talk about as an entry point is the the search for relevance. Mm -hmm. and and part of protecting ourselves then, from what I'm hearing you say, is understanding that our search for relevance comes from inside, not well, from what a group can give us, not from being recognized by the whole world. We don't need to be Bill Gates or Steve jobs, although he's dead now. But, um, you know, we don't need to be, <laughs> we don't all need to be Chris Shelton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, God, I hope not. That's the last thing everybody should be. Uh. We can, our search for relevance, okay, and I'm going to go back to, to our roots of this conversation. <laughs> you know, there, there is a line from the charge of the goddess that says, if that which thou seekest, thou findest not within thine own self, thou shalt never find it without. Fair enough. You have to find relevance here. Yes. And that's your biggest protection, as I'm hearing you speak, against being drawn into these things that will steal your sense of relevance. They'll exactly. steal you in this search for relevance. That's exactly right. And I'll tell you straight up that having gone all the way down conspiracy rabbit hole, Scientology rabbit hole, you know, you, you're putting it brilliantly, way better than I did. And I, and I just want to really back that up because it's it, the, the search for meaning, relevance, purpose, it, it is, it, it's self-generated. And 
I thought for a lot of years that somebody else could give me that purpose. I thought somebody else could could give me that, could make life have meaning. And I was wrong. I was very wrong. The whole time I was in Scientology, I was the one making my purpose. But I was doing it in the service of this individual who was a pathological liar and megalomaniac and narcissist and crazy person. And I didn't see that because I thought I was, you know, giving over to the greater good and all of that. There is so much more to be had, so much more purpose and meaning and freedom of thought, belief, ideas, when you're not succumbing to a guru, when you're not under the thumb of somebody who's telling you how to act, how to talk, how to think. You don't need any of that. You really don't. And it's and it, and life is so much better, even if it is a little more uncertain sometimes in finding your own answers. It is always better to find your own answers than to have somebody handing them to you on a silver platter, and that's all the thinking you have to do. That's not a life well lived. That's a that's a, that's servitude, and that's not what any of us should be having with our life. We should we should be making it our own. So. Yeah, there you go. That's all I can. Uh, that's all I can add on top of what you put there, because I think I thought what you said was good. Thank you very much for this conversation. I just want to let everyone know that neither Chris nor I want to be your guru. Yes, <laughs> correct. <laughs> Please know. Love it if, you, if we t if you took this conversation and did your own deep dive into critical thinking into what it means to be indoctrinated in how to um, explore the adventure of your own personal choices and your own personal education. This has been Emerson News Ethics Playground for Paganicon 2021. Thank you, Chris, so very much. And thank you listeners for joining us. <laughs>